Okay, hello everybody. Today is Monday. Another Zodiac Monday. Welcome to the show. There have been a lot of developments in the true crime world this year. There have also been a lot of surprises within the last two years. And I think that the more time we spend following true crime cases, the more we realize that there's a very high chance that some of them can be solved. Because I know if you're a true crime follower, you've probably sat back a couple times, maybe you found something on YouTube, or maybe you were reading a book and it talks about an unsolved murder mystery from over a hundred years ago, such as the story of Jack the Ripper, and you're thinking, there's no way there's ever going to be a conclusion. Maybe even a case has happened within the last 20 years, you might think, there's no way there is ever going to be an answer. It's just a cold case, and it will always remain a cold case, and we simply will not get the answers. But over the last two years, there's a lot to suggest that that will not happen, that that will not be the case, that we will be getting answers to these unsolved mysteries. And I think a lot of it began when David Orenchak, Earl Van Eyck, and Sam Blake solved the Zodiac Killer's 340 cipher, and for decades people were even debating, was that thing a dud, or was that thing a genuine cipher that actually had a real message? And it turns out that it did have a real message, it just took 52 years to get an answer in a more recent true crime case that has recently been almost certainly solved is the murder of Nancy Benelak from 1970. And I have to give a shout out to Mystery Junkie. He, Mystery Junkie was the first person to message me saying um, this news, saying, the murder of Nancy Benelak has been solved by DNA ancestry technology. Her killer's name was Richard John Davis and lived in the same apartment complex as her. So if she was a genuine Zodiac murder, we might have another suspect added. Maybe do an episode on this. Oh, absolutely. And that was just the first uh, message that I got. Numerous people wrote into the comment section on YouTube telling me that the murder of possible Zodiac killer victim Nancy Benelak from 1970 had been solved. And um, I got emails, Facebook messages, all up and down the circuit. And this is an enormous piece of breaking news. Nancy Benelak was murdered in October of 1970. It's possible that the murder occurred on October 25th, or maybe October 26th, because it was really close to midnight, sometime around 11.30 p.m., maybe 12 a.m., and it's not like the killer was wearing a type of countdown clock and then writing it on the wall or something like that, so they have to use a certain degree of forensic estimations. And some people have insisted that the murder of Nancy Benelak is genuine Zodiac activity. Some of these people include Lyndon Lafferty, author of The Zodiac Killer Cover-Up, also known as The Silence Badge. One person who has entertained, I repeat, entertained a connection, is Anne Penn, author of Serial Slaughter, Zodiac Killer, and even David Gold, author of My Dance with the Zodiac Killer, who is uh, disputing the facts already, or I shouldn't say that. He is challenging the most recent development in the story. So some people have believed that the Zodiac was a serial killer who operated in the late 1960s in California, in 68 and 69, but the Zodiac crimes went well into 1970, first starting with 
the abduction of Kathleen Johns off of Highway Route 132 on March 22nd of 1970, then the abduction of Donna Lass on September 6th of 1970, and then the murder of Nancy Benelak in the following month, October of 1970. But let's read about a possible Zodiac Killer victim, Nancy Benelak. And this one is from the page on fox40.com coming out of Sacramento. The Sacramento County Sheriff's Office has solved their oldest homicide case to date as they've identified the suspect in the 1970 murder of Nancy Benelak. In a press conference on Wednesday, police said that they have identified Richard John Davis as the suspected killer of the then 27-year-old Nancy Benelak. Davis was also 27 years old at the time of the murder and lived in the same building as Benelak, according to the Sheriff's Office. In 2004, a DNA profile was developed from blood drops found at the scene, and an unknown male profile was uploaded into the state and national combined DNA index, or the CODIS system, according to the Sheriff's Office. They said there were no matches until November of 2019, when investigators with the Sheriff's Cold Case Team in the Sacramento County District Attorney's Office began a forensic genetic genealogy investigation. On July 21st, Davis was identified as the suspect. The Sheriff's Office said Davis died in Sacramento on November 2nd of 1997. In accordance at the press con- sorry, in attendance at the press conference were Sacramento Sheriff and Undersheriff Jim Barnes, retired homicide detective Mickey Lynx, Sacramento County District Attorney, and Marie Schubert, a representative of the victim's family. On October 25th of 1970, a court reporter in Sacramento named Nancy Benelak was found dead in her upstairs apartment at Arden Way in Bell Avenue, where she lived by herself, according to the case records. And as I understand, though, from reading about this in the past, Nancy Benelak was actually out with her boyfriend, and they parted ways, and she went home for the night, and as says, she lived by herself. And in some sources, it says that she parted ways with her boyfriend at 11.30 p.m., and in other sources it says that the estimated time of the murder would have been 11.30 p.m., but um, no matter what, big rest in peace to Nancy Benelak. And she's attacked in her apartment, and there is a struggle, even to the point where the killer cut himself, and droplets of blood, as you heard, were bleeding out from him, and as I, got, I understand from reading about this in the past as well, that the blood trail went out of the apartment and even went down into more or less a courtyard-like area. So that just looks like someone trying to escape. How on earth would they know that that's the uh, blood of a resident, unless they had some way of extracting DNA from all the residents? Well, they couldn't do that at the time, but now we have genetic genealogy. And out of all the uh, true crime discoveries in the last three or four years, we also have the story of the Golden State Killer, which is perhaps even to this day the biggest case that has been solved through forensic genealogy, like using the genealogical trees to um, find some type of common ancestor and working up from there. And that is just... Absolutely, giving us hope that many of these cold cases are going to be solved. But I think that you guys are asking for a particular answer. And no matter what, they want to know, is this a connection to the Zodiac Killer?
And for a very long time, I've been talking about how I do not believe that there is a connection between Nancy Penelak and the Zodiac Killer and this new suspect, Davis. Is he actually the Zodiac? Well, I think almost certainly not. Because let's look at how this crime was committed. This was a home invasion. And the Zodiac Killer was so weak and so twisted and so cowardly that I don't think he even had the guts to go into somebody else's home. The Zodiac would attack people when they were in cars and secluded areas. The Zodiac would attack people who were blindsided and unable to fight back, whereas the murderer of Nancy Benelak did really quite the opposite, attacking someone with a knife in their home. A very different crime. But when I listed those uh, three people who were proponents of a Zodiac killer Nancy Benelak connection, I read this in an unreliable source that Ken Narlo, the investigator, actually believed that there was a connection between the murder of Nancy Benelak and the Zodiac Killer, and I'm pretty sure I read that in Lyndon Lafferty's book, The Zodiac Killer Cover-Up, because Lafferty was talking about how he believes that the Zodiac Killer murdered Nancy Benelak, and he cited Ken Narlo as an investigator that also believed the same type of theory that he did. But one of the points why people think that the this person, Davis, could be the Zodiac Killer is because he fooled the authorities for quite some time. He tried to be very methodical about about committing the murder because he put tape on his fingertips so he wouldn't leave fingerprints behind at the scene. What he did not anticipate was that there were going to be advances in forensic technology. There would that forensic genealogy would even be a thing that people would be able to analyze somebody's blood and match the DNA to um, common ancestors and then work around and, and we have sites like Ancestry.com. They, um, he, he, there's no way that he could have known about the capabilities of DNA and forensic technology. And he's been dead for a very long time, so he probably never even thought twice about it. Uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't know what he was thinking. But the whole point is, he fooled the authorities. And it was even Tom Colbert, who uh, is part of the group The Case Breakers, made somewhat of an interesting statement. The only time I'll ever say anything complimentary about Tom Colbert is he said that back in the day, they didn't have DNA technology. All the police had were forensics, bloodhounds, and intuition. And they definitely had blood evidence in this case, and ultimately the blood evidence appears to have been what has been leading people to solving the case. But let's just look at how this crime was committed. Let's look. Let's go over to an article from CBS Sacramento. It says, 52-year-old Sacramento County cold case solved with genetic genealogy. Genetic genealogy, I'll say that one more time. And this article was written by Laura Heafley, just citing the source. A breakthrough was announced in Sacramento County's longest cold case investigation. More than five decades ago, Nancy Benelak was murdered, and a suspect has been identified thanks to genetic genealogy. In 1970, Nancy Benelak was sleeping in her Sacramento apartment when the sheriff's office says that she was murdered. Investigators found Nancy's body with 30 stab wounds. 
It was 52 years ago, but her sister Linda Cox remembers it like it was yesterday. I thought, I'm going to die before they ever find who did this, said Cox. She continued, I had a bad gut feeling that something was terrible, and that we had to tell our mother, and that was even worse. There was one major clue at the crime scene, the killer's blood. There was a blood trail leading out over the balcony and onto the sidewalk. The foresight to collect it all and keep it was um, extraordinary. After a failed attempt using DNA in 2004, Anne-Marie Schubert says the case had a breakthrough. In 2019, forensic genetic genealogy, the same technology used to find the Golden State Killer, was put to the test, and it worked. So, um, one more time, the name of the suspect is Richard Davis, and I think that he's a little bit more than a suspect now. Even though he had passed away before, they could arrest him, bring him to trial. Most people are going to be pretty certain that he was the one that was responsible. But what I liked about this article from CBS Sacramento is it introduced it by saying how the crime was committed. They believe that Nancy Benelak went to bed and that she was attacked and that she was stabbed numerous times and um, 30 stab wounds on her body approximately. And I'm sure some of you are thinking that this is a little bit more similar to the crimes of the Golden State Killer rather than the Zodiac Killer. And I even had to admit that in the past, but because I've talked about Nancy Benelak in some previous episodes, much from the writer Ann Penn, believe it or not, she stated that the Golden State Killer had his DNA put into the CODIS system, and while well, he matched for the crimes that he was convicted of, they had a DNA profile in the Nancy Benelak case, and that has been at the top of almost every previous news article about her, that they had the killer's DNA, they were just unable to match it until recently. But the Zodiac? I have always insisted that the Zodiac was not a home invader, because I mostly view the Zodiac as a type of weakling who was not confrontational. And this is one of the reasons why I don't believe the murder of Sherry Jo Bates from 1966 was the Zodiac Killer either, for the almost exact same reason. And if anything, I think that the crime, like the murder of Sherry Jo Bates, is similar to the murder of Nancy Benelak. Both victims were stabbed multiple times, definitely in the dozens. There's a famous line out there that says that Sherry Jo Bates was stabbed 42 times, Maybe it wasn't actually 42, and it was something more like 24 or 25, and that the 42 stab wounds comes from including the superficial lacerations on her body. But she stabbed well over a dozen times. Nancy Benelak stabbed well over a dozen times, almost three dozen times. And someone who is attacking them when they're in a vulnerable place isn't afraid to get caught. Being somewhat stealthy, but still not stealthy enough to leave their DNA behind. But that's just it. I almost certainly do not think that the same person could have done this. Why? DNA. There was a hair that was taken from Sherry Jo Bates's hand that was actually found around the webbing of where the thumb comes to the palm that was imprinted in the blood that did not belong to Sherry Jo Bates. And I um, was watching Ken Maines' video on Unsolve No More, and he openly said, though, unless it's that person's DNA that they're trying to 
convict, they won't get it to trial, and they also will not even get a warrant in that case. But that means that they have that person's DNA, and that this case has been solved by DNA. I don't think it was the same killer. So people like Lyndon Lafferty, promoting his book The Zodiac Killer Cover-Up, were almost certainly wrong. And I know I don't have to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to go through Lafferty's theory about the murder of Nancy Benelak, because he believed that this crime was used to um, have some type of 13-month anniversary of the Lake Berryessa stabbing. That's what Lyndon Lafferty was thinking. The Zodiac Killer had four confirmed crimes. The Lake Herman Road murders, the Blue Rock Springs shooting, the Lake Berryessa stabbing, and the murder of Paul Stein on October 11th of 1969. That's the final one. The Lake Berryessa stabbing occurred on September 27th of 1969. And it really doesn't take too much imagination to think about, okay, September 27th, October 26th, those um two are 13 months apart, right? The problem was, though, Lyndon Lafferty's book, The Zodiac Killer Cover-Up, also known as a silenced badge, also known as the silenced badge, excuse me, is a novel. It is not a true crime book. Lafferty presents it that way, and it's marketed that way. But there is even a big disclaimer in one of the chapters saying, this chapter is fictitious, it has been recreated. And his theory on what happened to Nancy Benelak is not in that chapter, but it almost certainly is a fictitious story, because Lyndon Lafferty said that Donna Lass was abducted on September 26th of 1970 to commemorate the 12-month anniversary, the one-year anniversary of the Lake Berryessa stabbing, and that Nancy Benelak was murdered on October 26th of 1970 to commemorate the 13-month anniversary of the Lake Berryessa stabbing. And almost certainly these claims are false, because Donna Lass was not abducted on September 26th of 1970. She disappeared on September 6th of 1970. Why Lafferty chose to mess around with that particular date, when almost certainly he would have known better as an investigator who had followed this material for 35 years at the time of writing the book, or at least when the book came out, is beyond me. I really have no idea why he fudged that particular fact, other than to tell a story that he thought was interesting, even though it's blatantly lying if you're calling it true crime. What did I say in the past? Not a true crime book, but a false crime book. And then, Nancy Benelak, how do you even know that she was murdered on October 26th of 1970? I just talked about how it's quite possible the murder occurred on October 25th. So... I found that book to be extremely frustrating, and I have a two-part response to Lyndon Lafferty's The Zodiac Killer cover-up, also known as The Silenced Badge, here on Black Box Online Radio, and as always, you can like and subscribe. But even more importantly, I think that is, I need to say once more, please do not waste your money on that book. If you want to get it from a library, borrow it from a friend, that's fine. If you can read it without paying for it, I welcome that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, get, give your honest response to that. I'm just trying to save you the $34 or $35, whatever it is that they're charging for it now, because it is a book filled with intentional 
misinformation, intentionally misleading statements are in the Zodiac Killer cover-up by Lyndon Lafferty. Some additional information about Nancy Benelak, I would like to go over to ZodiacKiller.net and look at some of these statements that have been written out. This first one says, Murdered at the Tahitian Apartments, number one block from Hakari, by the line of sight, it was only across Glendale Avenue, over an open field. It could have been seen from Markston Apartments. The court reporter for Juvenile Court, Judge Robert W. Wool in Sacramento, Nancy was engaged to Francis Salami, maybe it's pronounced Salame, due to be married in November, very similar to the murder of Judith Hakari, because Nancy Benelak had the same size, weight, and hair color of another similar victim. Investigators also noticed both had a brooding upper lip, and both were engaged. She also would have been stalked for some time prior. The killer jumped a fence, climbed up a gas meter, onto her second-story balcony in order to get in. She had not fought back extensively, but she had over 30 stab wounds, and her throat had been cut, found in her underwear, some of her clothes beneath. But she was not sexually assaulted. And when it says some of her clothes beneath, I, mean, I think that means beneath her. Now, was this an opportunistic predator who was trying to sexually assault her, and then, for some reason, the sexual assault was interrupted, or it was bungled, and that he realized that he wasn't going to be able to sexually assault her, so he simply decided to murder her and run away so he wouldn't be arrested. I mean, the way that this post is written out, that's what I would think, but those might be answers that we will not necessarily get. But are you are you um hearing these particular details? Now, let's hypothetically say that some of this stuff is true. Somebody is climbing a fence up a gas meter and onto her second-story balcony in order to get in, I don't think that the Zodiac Killer would have even had the physical capabilities of doing something like that. I, the Zodiac Killer probably just sat around and got fat for the rest of his life and was just kind of moaning and grumbling to himself the whole time. I don't even think he would have had the physical capabilities to do something such as that. And also, it takes a certain psychological aspect to deviate from attacking lovers' lanes to try and being a home-invading predator. Because that is, I mean, it is different. Because you're not only trying to show that you are capable of murdering, which the Zodiac was mostly about, but trying to show that you can take control of somebody's home. I have invaded your castle, and now I'm going to be the king of it. That's what the predator is going to be thinking. And not an ounce of Zodiac ability has been found in any of those um, other possible crimes. Let's look at the murder of Ray Davis from 1962. Taxi driver, Domingos and Edwards of 63, by the beach. The swindle murders near the waterfront and the uh, murder of Sherry Jo Bates outside near the RCC library, and then you have uh, the Lake Herman Road murders outside of the Lefers Lane, the murder of Darlene Farron, she's sitting in a car, the Lake Berryessa stabbing by the waterfront, and the murder, murder of Paul Stein in a car. If I am correct about one of my observations, and this is a long shot, but I've said that one of the only consistencies 
in the Zodiac Killer mystery is the connection to automobiles that whether you look at the um, the uh, four canonical attacks or you also include the murders of Frey Davis, Domingo Sedwards, and even Sherry Jo Bates, maybe not the swindles, but the murder of Sherry Jo Bates, there's a very clear connection to automobiles. They're either nearby their car, in the car, or they are um, having some sort of automobile connection. Like at Lake Berryessa, the killer wrote a message on the car door, whereas two of the victims, Darlene Farron and Paul Stein, were murdered inside the vehicles. At uh, Lake Herman Bro, they were most likely ordered outside of the vehicles, of the vehicle singular. So what is that all about? Well, I would actually turn to a book called Zodiac Killer Solved by Ray Grant. I think this is where I read the statement when he said that back in the 1960s, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't even have pagers or anything like that. The way that you knew where somebody was, was the location of their car. They knew You knew where their car was parked. And that would be one way to follow a particular victim. Now, here's something about the murder of Nancy Benelak that has been expressed on ZodiacKiller.net, which I read previously. She was most likely previously stalked. And I think that um, I don't notice an enormous amount of first-hand connections among the Zodiac victims and were they stalked or not. But I've been talking about one possible case of stalking, and I think that's the murder of Cecilia Shepard that occurred on September 27th of 1969, the Lake Berryessa stabbing. And I've talked about several reasons why I believe that it's possible, possible that Cecilia Shepard was stalked by the Zodiac killer, that she was familiar with the Zodiac and he was familiar with her, and that's why he wore the hooded costume to hide his identity. And she was stabbed, which suggests a more intimate and personal connection. And someone has gone through a very deliberate length, a very deliberate effort to uh, make the victim feel pain, and they want to feel the knife going into the person. It is an intimate connection, and intimate doesn't mean romantic, no, just they wanted to have an up-close and personal connection to her death. He wanted to have an up-close and personal connection to her death, and th that is the reason why there are all of these differences between the other murders, the Lake Herman Road murders, the Blue Rock Springs shooting, and the Stein murder, with the Lake Berryessa stabbing, that she may have been the only victim that was familiar with the Zodiac, knew him by name, or would have recognized him from school, from college, something to that effect. Pure speculation on my part. I don't have all the answers, but that's something that I've definitely thought about. And to provide some type of counterbalance, people such as the theorist Michael Cole, author of the Zodiac Revisited trilogy, do not entertain that type of theory at all. Instead, what they say is that it was done for calculating reasons. There were specific reasons why this person committed this crime. And one thing that clues us in on that is that the Zodiac wrote a message on the car door after the Lake Berryessa stabbing, drawing the Zodiac symbol, writing the word Vallejo, and writing the dates of Zodiac activity. 12-20-68-7-4-69, September 27th of 69 at 6.30 p.m., then writing by knife. And he's like openly points out 
the killer wanted to alert the authorities that the crime was committed by knife and he also would not have been able to know that the victims would have survived the lake berryessa stabbing and had the ability to tell the story about the costume with the zodiac symbol on it so a zodiac symbol was written on the car door this is also partnered with something that was written and mailed in on um october october twenty uh, seventh of nineteen seventy the zodiac killer's halloween card which states by rope by knife by gun by fire this has since been traced back to the tim holt comic book that features the wheel of death and lady doom tim holt is in the red mask character and lady doom is spinning um the wheel of death which features the names by rope by knife by gun by fire or the ways in which someone can die manners of death so to speak the wheel of death and this is going to show that there could be a very calculating reason why the zodiac killer was choosing to commit the crime the crimes plural in their particular ways and um i mean i could go on and on and on about all the different possibilities but it does require a certain amount of um guesswork and what do you think what do you think do you think that the zodiac killer had specific reasons for committing some of the crimes by gun and some of the crimes by knife like what does that mean to you um or do you think that that is all arbitrary and that it's just some type of twisted person who is doing things for his own excitement i would love to read your responses to that particular question and as far as the murder of nancy benelak goes the stabbing of cecilia shepherd at lake berryessa and the stabbing of nancy benelak are very different crimes cecilia shepherd was stabbed ten times and of course there were some other possible superficial lacerations on her body whereas nancy benelak was stabbed much more viciously which is rather consistent with the way that someone who is in a fight would commit the crime i mean because with cecilia shepherd she was tied up at lake berryessa she was more or less tied with her hands to her feet in like the hog-tied type of fashion so she couldn't what fight back and i think that there is definitely a greater sense of calculation with the zodiac killer as opposed to the murder of nancy benelak where someone wasn't afraid of the fight and they didn't care that the victim had the capabilities of defending herself but i would like to look at one more article about her and it's from lawandcrime.com the 1970 cold case murder of nancy benelak who was nearly decapitated while engaged to a public defender is finally solved that is the title and this was written by aaron keller one more time lawandcrime.com authorities in sacramento county say that they've solved the county's cold, oldest cold case the victim was a court reporter who was engaged to marry a public defender but the suspect turned out to be somebody entirely different according to the county sheriff's office nancy benelak age 27 at the time was last seen on october 20, 25th of 1970 at approximately 11:30 p.m by her fiance she lived alone in an upstairs apartment benelak didn't appear for work the next morning a colleague called her son to go check on nancy the colleague's son sought assistance from a manager who oversaw benelak's apartment a passkey was used to unlock the door when nancy's murder was discovered nancy was found murdered in a wednesday facebook post the sheriff's office said that benelak was 28 not 27 i'm glad they pointed that out because as you heard there are some types of 
conflicting things about her day, about her um, age, but also even um, more importantly to the investigation. You heard in this article that it states that she left her fiancé, parted ways with him at 11.30 p.m. Other sources say they think the crime began at 11.30 p.m. And at this point, though, that is just trying to sort out some of the details. It would be much more important for um, the investigators at the time if they've already identified the perpetrator. I think that's the most important part. Nancy Benelak was brutally stabbed to death on Bell Street, not Bell Avenue. The stabbing occurred in Benelak's bedroom. Benelak was stabbed more than 30 times and was nearly decapitated, according to the sheriff's office. Officials said at a subsequent press conference that the defensive wound suggested that Benelak fought back. Miss Benelak was engaged to marry Chief Public Defender Ferris Salome the following month, a Facebook post said. Salome and said Benelak left her sliding glass door ajar to allow her cat to go outside on the second-story balcony. According to the sheriff's office account, the door, the open door is how the suspect made an entry into the victim's apartment by climbing up to the second story and opening the slider. Sometime between 11.30 p.m. on October 25th and the early a.m. hours on October 26th, the sheriff ascertained. Investigators discovered a blood trail. It began on the balcony and led to a sidewalk below, and it traveled around the apartment complex and buildings before it ended in a parking lot. Excuse me for saying that it uh, ended in a courtyard earlier. It appears it ended in the parking lot. The case was investigated thoroughly at a time at the time of the crime. However, no suspect was identified. Officials explained at a press conference that 500 people were interviewed within a month of the slaying. A DNA profile was developed from the blood trail at the scene. The male profile was uploaded into the Combined DNA Index System, or CODIS, a national forensics database, but there were no matches. Investigators tried again in November of 2018, according to a Facebook post. The Sacramento County Sheriff's Office cold case team and the County District Attorney's Office determined on July 21st of this year that Richard John Davis, who was 27 years old, was the murderer and he had committed the crime alone and he was the single perpetrator. But there will be no criminal prosecution. Davis died on November 2nd of 1997, the Sheriff's Office wrote. The DNA technology used to find Davis was reportedly the same kind used to find the Golden State Killer. The connection between the victim and the suspect appears to be one of geography. Davis lived in the same apartment complex where Nancy Benelak was murdered. Now, it's very important for us to um, throw in this particular type of interjection here. This goes to show us that there are opportunistic predators out there. There are people who are stalking. And again, I think it's very similar to the murder of Sherry Jo Bates because there's the Riverside Confession that is mailed in November of uh, 1966 that says... Beware, I'm stalking your girls now. That's what I would expect from someone who had uh, murdered Sherry Jo Bates. And if there were, there were some way, somehow, that we could connect this guy to the murder of Sherry Jo Bates, I think he'd be a likely candidate, but it looks like he doesn't have the same DNA. If all of the Zodiac crimes had been committed against lone females who were stabbed, I would say, yeah, I think this guy is the Zodiac Killer. But they were not. They are committed in a very different way. Davis lived in the same apartment complex where Nancy Benelak was murdered. Sacramento NBC affiliate KCRA said that Davis is believed to have died from conditions related to alcoholism. Well, 
he didn't even get his day in court, and sounds like at least he met a miserable demise, and he can view that as punishment in itself. Clearly he intended to do what he did that day, said retired homicide detective Mickey Links at a press conference. This man put masking tape over his over one of his fingers. I guess gloves weren't easy to find in those days to conceal fingerprints. Were he alive, I think that we're talking premeditated murder. Oh, absolutely premeditated murder. If all the other pieces of information surrounding the case are even reasonably correct. I mean, stalking her, climbing up the window with a knife with the intention of attacking her. Absolutely. This, this appears to be a very premeditated crime. What kind of passion-provoked defense would it be? He climbs up to the second floor, breaks into her apartment with a knife, and then just says, well, I was overwhelmed with emotion because of something that she did to me on the spot. I I mean, I think that, um, that I, and I'm really not trying to be silly about it, I, I just think that this is blatantly a premeditated murder. But one thing um, I haven't found in the articles that I've read off is something that I did read at KCRA, the um, the affiliate uh, website that they were talking about, and that said that Davis was actually interviewed by the authorities. He was part of those 500 interviews that they had conducted after the murder of Nancy Benelak, and that he was let go, that he fooled them. Well, again, they didn't have DNA, and he's got tape over his fingers, at least one of them. I would expect more, but at least one of them. It wasn't him, and he uh, fooled them. And it does beg the question about why he wouldn't just wear some type of latex gloves. Maybe he didn't have access to them, but he had the access to masking tape. It really is quite shocking. Um, but no matter what, though, rest in peace to Nancy Benelak. She did not deserve to die that way. And just hope the best for her, and in memory, that is, and uh, remembering her in the best way possible. Now, I would like to move on to a different piece of Zodiac Killer news, because some people did not like the name Zodiac Killer News Report because I'm not always talking about new developments. I'm just talking about the Zodiac Killer mystery in general. It's only called that because I do genuinely respond to pieces of Zodiac Killer news and information that has been published. But another point involves something called the Zodiac Killer hoax theory and one of the possible participants in it. And his name is Donald Porter. And... There's been a lot of disputes about this guy, as I understand. There was a local criminal in Vallejo, in Northern California even, named Donald Porter, and that he may have been a suspect in the Blue Rock Spring shooting, which saw the murder of Darlene Farron on July 4th of 1969. And there are some conflicting descriptions about him as well, because the Zodiac hoax theory is promoted by Thomas Henry Horan, who is the author of The Myth of the Zodiac Killer. And in the past, he has identified different suspects for each of the crimes. And in the Lake Herman Road murders, identifying David Walliot, another local criminal. And then the Blue Rock Spring shooting, he has talked about Donald Porter in the past, or Jim Phillips Crabtree, the ex-husband of Darlene Farron, the Lake Berryessa stabbing, for a while talking about Dennis Land, the first park ranger, on the site, and then switching to Leonard Lake, one of the Boneyard killers, and for the Paul Stein murder, looking at suspects such as um, Hesham Zayed, or Hal Snook gets accused of that, and even a new suspect that will be introduced. So, um, with this guy Donald Porter, 
Thomas Horan's description of him initially was he was six feet seven inches tall, he looked like Frankenstein, and he was a very dangerous criminal. And the hoax theory is that there wasn't a single Zodiac killer. Someone was writing letters for murders that he didn't commit. And that person's name was Harold K. Snook, also known as Hal Snook. But why would someone write letters for murders that they didn't commit? And the Zodiac theorist Mark Hewitt has even called out Thomas Horan on that. He's done it here on Black Box Online Radio saying there would be an enormous risk with that. If someone's going to write letters taking credit for murders that he didn't commit, and then it turns out that he didn't commit them, well, he would lose all of this ego-filled reputation that he's been trying to create. This is the Zodiac speaking. Who cares what? You're just some type of overaged prankster. You're just some person who's acting immature for his age. You're, you're taking credit for murders that you didn't commit. You look really stupid. That's what would happen if someone were actually to perpetuate a hoax, right? Well, the challenge from the hoax theory is that someone would write letters taking credit for murders that he didn't commit if he knew that there wouldn't be convictions in these crimes. Well, how would he know that if some of them were committed by confidential informants, meaning that David Walliot, the suspect in the Lake Herman Road murders, was a protected informant, and that he was a real criminal, he was a real drug dealer, but he was also involved with sting operations, where people would buy drugs from him, and then five minutes later they get busted in a sting operation, and he had protected status. And this, um, there's a very big reason why, however, I won't get into that now. Okay, so he wouldn't get arrested for the Lake Herman Road murders. But with the Blue Rock Spring shooting, and looking at this guy, Donald Porter, it's very important to pay attention to the details. Because as I first learned about the Blue Rock Springs angle in the Zodiac hoax theory, it was that it was a sting operation that backfired. That one of the two individuals in the car on the night of July 4th, 1969, had been a confidential informant, maybe even Darlene Farron herself. And one of the things that supports this is that Officer Richard Hoffman is in the park patrolling maybe five to ten minutes before the shooting took place, and that the target of the sting operation was actually Jim Phillips Crabtree, that there was supposed to be some type of drug deal going on there, and that Jim Phillips Crabtree, the ex-husband of Darlene Farron, was supposed to be busted for it. But the sting operation backfired because either Crabtree or the criminal that he was with, Donald Porter, figured out that something was about to go down, and they committed the crime, and they uh, simply got away with it. And they didn't con get a conviction because, number one, they weren't interrupted. And number two, the whole thing was arranged by the authorities, and it depends on how they arranged the sting operation. If they did something illegal in the planning of it, then that would fall back on them. So they didn't say anything about that. Then after the Blue Rock Springs shooting, someone started writing letters taking credit for murders that he didn't commit because there are these two crimes that were in more or less an untouchable status. But who really was this Donald Porter guy? Well, Someone named Playtime, actually, in the comment section, encouraged me to talk to an individual named Sandy Betts, who was the ex-girlfriend of Donald Porter. And I didn't get to talk to Sandy Betts exactly. She was part of a discussion thread on the Zodiac Killer. 
but I had the opportunity to ask a few particular questions, and I'll share my responses in just a second, or I should say, I should share her responses to me in just a second, but it's very important to pay attention to the details, because the whole story is that there is, again, a setup with real criminals, David Walliath in Lake Harmon Road and Donald Porter at um, Blue Rock Springs, and that the reason why Mike Majot, who survived the Blue Rock Springs shooting, never came forward was he was terrified of the criminal Donald Porter because he um, was extremely dangerous and he could easily overpower Mike Michaud, but he would also very likely have him murdered if he ever said anything about the particular shooting. So for 50-some-odd years, Mike Michaud has been telling a lie that it was the Zodiac Killer, some type of five foot eight beefy man, when actually it was a six foot seven guy who looked like Frankenstein who figured out that the sting operation was going on. Well, what on earth actually happened? After the Blue Rock Springs shooting, there was an arrest that was made, and it was of a guy named Donald Warren Blank and James Philip Flowers. Now, Jim Crabtree's middle name is Phillips, right? I think it's actually his, um, it's actually his last name, but then he changes his name a couple times, but whatever. Jim Phillips Crabtree, James Philip Flowers. And I couldn't believe this story, because allegedly Donald Porter's middle name is Warren, and Donald Warren Blank and Donald Warren Porter were two different guys. I was like, how on earth is this possible that they, there are just these two guys arrested that have almost the exact same names? Again, Jim Phillips Crabtree, James Philip Flowers. I mean, they, they got two guys named J Jim Jimmy Phillips whatever, and they're both named after plants, Crabtrees, and Flowers. And then you have Donald Warren Blank and Donald Warren Porter. And I'm just like... What? Well, there's a reason why it sounds like it's larger than life. And that's because Sandy Betts, the ex-girlfriend of this local criminal, says that it is. Number one, the guy was named Donald Porter. That's true. But he wasn't even named Donald Warren Porter. His middle name was Paul. Again, she's his ex-girlfriend. And his name is Donald Paul Porter. And this guy, Donald Warren Blank, who was arrested after the Blue Rock Springs shooting, totally different person, but it's really casting some doubt on the whole whole setup, because the idea was that there are these two guys, Jim Phillips, Crabtree, and Donald Warren Porter, and that they were responsible for the Blue Rock Springs shooting. So the way they got out of it was by pinning the murder on two other individuals, James Philip Flowers and Donald Warren Blank. And when Donald Blank was arrested, he turned to Flowers and he said, I'm going to be booked for murder, meaning that it was a setup. They tried to use these two guys with very similar names as fall guys. And Donald Blank was looked into and he was let go and then he skips town for a while. And Donald Blank isn't his real name. He's asked that his name not be held from the media, be withheld from any type of Zodiac discussions. So that's what we're calling him. But firstly, it isn't such a big coincidence that there are these guys with similar names. Maybe they didn't have the same names at all. Donald Paul versus Donald Warren. Still a little bit similar, but not 
as on point. Secondarily, he wasn't as imposing of a figure as it seems, the drug dealer, or the local criminal, that is, Donald Paul Porter, and it also just, um, kind of puts that whole angle on the subject. Was there a sting operation that backfired and there's this dangerous guy who's after Mike Mageau, so he goes along with the Zodiac narrative because he doesn't want to get murdered, and that there was a setup with Jim Flowers and Donald Warren Blank because they that's how they completely detracted from putting the blame on Jim Crabtree and Donald Porter Maybe maybe there's just a little bit of misunderstanding there. I hope everybody followed everything. That was all very simple, right? Sorry for drawing everything in some type of twisted roundabout way. But I'd like to move on to the next segment here on Black Box Online Radio. And I've been reading the book Lunches with Mr. Q, which is about a Zodiac Killer suspect named Shel Cavale. Although it isn't about any of his particular uh, Zodiac attributes is not Zodiac related at all, but it's one of the few times when you get to read a book about a suspect in an unrelated way, unrelated to any type of criminal behavior, because Shel Cavale was a very successful businessman. And in the chapters that I've been going through, there's a story about how he made his money in the auto business, and he was very successful at importing and exporting automobiles. But in his 70s, he decided to have a complete career change and go into the finance industry and banking. And guess what? He was also very successful at that, even more successful than he wanted to be. And he was bought out for a very large sum of money. And it just goes to show you that, firstly, once someone can establish resources, then they can use their resources to do an enormous amount of things. Shel Cavale also developed a friendship with Bing Crosby, and they began to share their particular um, philosophies on life together. And they talk about this, about how you should view the concept of fairness. And in the last Zodiac Killer News report, I was talking about how... Shel Cavale said that he never gives a discount, and the reason why is, you want if you want to help people, stay in business. That's more or less what he said. But he elaborated on this, and even with some of the parts about being Crosby, they talk about it in terms of, you cannot have a fair operation if you're making different rules for different people. And I would love to know your response to this. This would have been a wonderful icebreaker question. Do you agree or disagree with the following? Is this a fair system? You cannot have different rules for different people. And if you arbitrarily give out discounts to people, then you are giving rules, different rules to different people. And if everybody gets the same price and there are no discounts, then that's as fair as it can be. And another aspect of fairness was that the same salesman isn't going to approach all the customers on the sales floor. If somebody gets the commission, all right, nope, you have to wait. A new customer has walked in. It's now person B's turn. This person has to go up. And that goes to show you that um, Shel Cavale was very much aware of how people functioned. And he also seems like somewhat of a quirky guy. He's involved in a UFO sighting. 
in the late 1940s, I think 1947 it was, but don't quote me on that. That isn't mentioned, hasn't been mentioned in the book yet. But one thing that he wanted to do with the auto business was they had these low-riding British cars, the roadsters, and they, because they were low-riding, they were called midgets. So they were used in a parade, and Shel Cavalli hired a bunch of circus performers who were little people, or I guess we can say midgets, because that's the title of the parade float, and um, they had these little people in the British motor cars, the low-riding midgets, and it was called Midgets on Midgets. And I was like, what? I was like, I wasn't even laughing at the time. I was just like, this is, um, I don't know, just kind of a weird, quirky thing to do. Do you remember, though, when, like, they tried to get rid of the word midget, or they wanted to put the word midget as, um, some type of taboo that people should never say and replace it with little person, but that didn't really stay, and, I mean, just kind of odd how language functions or how some people are starting a trend and it doesn't always catch on. And the next point that I would like to share on this episode is that for the Anything Goes Friday segment, I did a response to some previous material that had been shared on Black Box Online Radio, almost like in a response to some of my own episodes, which I don't do all the time, but I do in some tributes. And there was a tribute that went out to a woman named Marie Iannuzzi, who was murdered on or around August 12th of 1979, and it was called The Death of Marie Iannuzzi, Full Analysis. The murder of Marie Iannuzzi is heavily connected to the murder of Joan Webster, and to be very clear, Marie Iannuzzi is not a suspected Zodiac killer victim, but Joan Webster is. The authorities in the state of Massachusetts believe that a serial killer named Leonard Paradiso murdered both Marie Iannuzzi and Joan Webster, as well as five other women. He is called Leonard the Quahog Paradiso, and I have several episodes about him here on this channel. And there are people who disagree with that statement, such as perhaps Gareth Penn, author of Time 17, who heavily believed and promoted that the, that the murder of Joan Webster was committed by the Zodiac Killer. And Ray Grant, author of Zodiac Killer Solved and Zodiac Killer Dreams, has said some very similar things. Or at the very least, he is one of the other theorists who has heavily explored the Zodiac Killer connection to the Webster murder. So, who was Joan Webster and what exactly happened to her? Joan Webster was abducted on or around November 28th of 1981, and she was standing in the taxi line at Logan Airport, and some guy approached her and asked her to get out of the taxi line. And again, the authorities say that it's Leonard Paradiso, Believe it or not, I do agree with the observation that Gareth Penn heavily resembles the composite sketch of the person there. But I read this off during the Marie Iannuzzi episode, but I would like to read this for Zodiac Monday because I think that it's very important and it provides an alternative to the Zodiac killer connection to the Webster murder because it was, this was written by Rubislaw32 on ZodiacCiphers.com. To fill in a few details, in strictly precise form, Joan had flown from Logan Airport to Newark Airport to be with her family members, George and Eleanor, those are the parents, her sister Anne, brother Steve, and his wife, Eve Carson, for a Thanksgiving get-together. And as I said, she was abducted on November 28th. Her family was anticipating that they would be meeting 
joan's new boyfriend for the first time but unfortunately he had given excuses to joan prior to her journey and did not turn up for the family gathering joan's family were never to know the boyfriend's identity although joan had intimidated uh, it's that word again they say intimidated but i think they mean insinuated that he was significantly older joan was twenty-five years old joan's decision to cut short her family gathering by one day and fly back to cambridge where harvard is located appeared to be for work reasons but the reality seems that she may have gone to meet her boyfriend it now appears almost certain that this man the bearded man was joan webster's boyfriend and met her at logan airport and both with suitcases they attempted to acquire a taxi but the reason why somebody approached joan in the taxi line as that was actually her boyfriend telling her to get out of the taxi line and to come with him and so many people have been talking about this until the end of time no matter what if you're saying that the zodiac killer was gareth penn and gareth penn is abducting joan webster if they say that leonard paradiso the serial killer boston's unknown serial killer was abducting joan webster because he's running an illegal taxi then well what is the first-hand connection? Why would this 25-year-old woman just agree to go out of a taxi line with a complete stranger who's running an illegal taxi at night in the cold? Why would she do that? It's somewhat of a compelling alternative, even if, even if we don't know all the details of this and there aren't a lot of ways to verify this person's claim. It does appear that it makes sense. I mean, I can follow what this person is saying, that that was a boyfriend, male acquaintance, some type of romantic partner that Joan had. And a final alternative is that Eve Carson, the sister-in-law that you've heard there, has two books out on Joan Webster's murder, and as I said, she was a relative of Joan. She has stated that she believes that that is actually George Webster in the composite sketch, Joan Webster's own father, and that he was responsible for Joan's murder. And the reason why i mean is that the websters had connections to the cia and they may have had some type of dark family secret that joan knew about and that george webster was even willing to murder his own daughter to silence her about this and eve carson did once share an email with me that george webster had written to her and he it did seem very deranged like someone who sounded sick and twisted like how the riverside confession of 1966 sounds weird and twisted like that however i can't it's going to take a lot more than that to convince me that someone had his own daughter murdered and that he was an active participant in her murder but what do you think about any of those stories you can weigh in in the comment section down below and the final piece of zodiac killer news is that a series of facebook posts were written by mike rodelli author of in the shadow of mount diablo and the hunt for zodiac and I would like to go through them right now. Mike Rodelli writes something about the murder of Sherry Joe Bates from 1966. How long is the Riverside Press going to give RPD free reign with their pet suspect in the Bates murder? This is a man whose mitochondrial DNA was compared to the mitochondrial DNA taken from DNA that was found on three hairs that were clutched in the hand of Sherry Joe Bates after she was murdered. I consider that, given the nature of where this DNA was located, it should be exonerating DNA that should have cleared this pet suspect in 2001. Yet, here we are, 20 years later, and he's still a suspect. Why in this case? How does RPD defend this decision? 
Nobody knows because the press in Riverside doesn't force the hand of the police to reveal any information. And then uh, Mike Rodelli responds by saying that the R Riverside PD is also hostile, hostile, excuse me. They had the nerve to put out a press release a year ago that basically told the public nothing except that it served to distance RPD further from the Zodiac case. It was one of the most poorly worded and most poorly written press releases in the history of the world, and that it had its goal of conveying as little new information to the public as possible, while achieving the goal of RPD in saying that the Zodiac was not involved in any way with the Bates murder. We learn virtually nothing from that press release. After all, isn't it the job of the free press to keep the public and the police honest, and to hold them accountable? How can the reporters and the editors at the Riverside Press look at themselves in the mirror every day when they know that they are the ones that need to be asking some serious questions, and they need to ask these questions about the Bates murder and that memo that was put out last year, and yet they do nothing. It seems to me that the newspaper there gives the police free reign to say and do anything that they want. And I did give one response was that, I, as I understood, they were not revealing the identity of the pet suspect that Riverside PD allegedly has, that they have a suspect that they are not talking about because he is still alive, and that they are um, not revealing his identity to the general public for that very reason. And I don't believe it's talking about Bob Barnett, the uh, most uh, famous suspect aside from Ross Sullivan. But Mike Rodelli continues, If the relationship between the Riverside Press and RPD is so cozy that the newspaper refuses to do anything that might rock the boat with RPD by asking tough questions, then I believe that the newspaper should seriously re-examine its relationship with RPD. The newspaper also has a duty to act in the best interest of the public and ask tough questions, not mollycoddle the police. If the Riverside Press cannot bring itself to ask tough questions of its own police department in order to keep its relationship cozy with them, then it is essentially acting as a mouthpiece and an arm of the police, which is not the role of the press. Well, um, I definitely can follow that, but I think that um, they don't always reveal the names of certain suspects if they haven't been convicted of the crime and they don't have enough to grant a warrant, but innocent until proven guilty. And Rodelli continues, though, after nearly 56 years, the Riverside Police believes it does not owe the public any information about the Bates murder, except to say that the pet suspect did it. Again, I do think that this is a different person, and it is not uh, Bob Barnett, because somebody in, in one of the Zodiac Killer discussion groups talked to Riverside PD, and they say that they have this mysterious pet suspect. And, um, you know, it's... I just... um. I, I would like to know myself, but I don't know if we will immediately. But at this time, I'd like to turn it over to you guys. What do you think about any of the comments that I made about the murder of Nancy Benelak or the suspect, uh, Richard John Davis? What do you think about him? And I don't believe there's any real Zodiac Killer connection there. I just believe that there are two different killers that existed, the Zodiac Killer and Davis. They were not the same person. Very different crimes, very different MOs, very different motives, very different behaviors, and any type of theory that has been established between the Zodiac Killer and Nancy Benelak is simply a mistake. That's my take on the subject. You can respond in the comment section down below, and then you can also weigh in about the comments made from Shel Cavale and that challenge question that I asked, weigh in on something about the Zodiac Killer hoax theory and its participants, or you can 
respond to the comments made by Micro Deli and Riverside PD. Share anything in one of the comments section down below. Anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio.com. You can also get me on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box, as well as blackboxnid88 on Instagram for the bonus podcast, and see you over there. Until next time.